My ladies, welcome. So we're learning the Tehillim, and this is a, uh, a project that we study Tehillim, one chapter a week, for the Elun Yishamav the Tzaddik, and this is Lili Medde Ba'alei HaShalom, Lili Le'ah, Bat Verjeneh, Ruach Adonai Tenichena Begana Eden, Amen. It's a project of our son, Dr. Medde, and uh, at this rate, It'll probably take us, uh, now we're up to 73 today. There's 150 chapters and we do one a week. So do the math, we have a long time. But nonetheless, we have to do the chapter that's in front of us. We're starting the third book of Tehillim. Tehillim is divided into five books, like the Bible. And uh, today we start Sefer uh, Shilishi, and it's a, it's a classic. If you have your books open, chapter I in Gima, it is a classic. Not all the Tehillim were written by David. Some of them were written by other tzaddikim. This one actually uh, was written by Asaf. And Asaf happens to be uh, one of the children of Korah. And he, uh, he writes this chapter. But again, David ultimately makes it to the book of, of, uh, of the Tehillim. Now this is a, uh, a classic chapter that is going to talk about the age-old question that uh, many people, even till today, or maybe especially today, uh, grapple with. And there's really no perfect answer to it. And that is, why do the righteous suffer and why do the wicked prosper? This is something that's been going on from the beginning of time. The Rishaim, who are not uh, observant, but they have a good life. Things go good for them, things go right for them. And those that are observant, they keep all the mitzvot and are devout, they have a hard time. And that makes no sense because we would expect at least that the tzaddik should have a good life because of his service. And the Rasha should have a miserable life because of his disservice. And more times than not, you see that that formula doesn't always work. So even David, uh, or Asaf, brings it uh, to light. This is a problem. And it starts off and it says, Mizmor Asaf, Ach Tov Yisrael. Now Rashi, we're going to consult with Rashi a lot in this pedic because he really explains it in a very, very pashut way that we can understand it. The topic, or the content of this chapter, talks about the uh, troubles that beset sorry, those that are servants of the makom. David says, even though I'm crying out and I am uh, uh, bewildered on why the Jewish people are suffering so much, I know it's for the best. Ultimately, he's bringing the bad for a good reason. Why? In order to merit them, so Rashi right away is answering the question in the first line. That a lot of times where the righteous people suffer is in order that they can get a clean slate in Olam Abba. Even the tzaddik has sins. 
and it's better to pay now than to have to pay later because the payment later is more painful. They can compare it to bankruptcy. Over here you could pay 10 cents on the dollar, but over there you have to pay the full dollar. So therefore, the tzaddik, God does him a favor by cleaning him here, as if to say, they get the gehinam in this world. So when they get to the next world, they don't have to, they could bypass that, that, uh, that uh, cleansing process, which is painful. Okay, that's one answer. And I guess the, the opposite answer for the Rishaim is the opposite. That God wants to reward them in this world because even the Rasha has a good deeds. Even the worst guy, maybe he did something good in his life. Maybe he gave charity. Maybe he respected his parents. Who knows what he did? Maybe he was one time good to an orphan or a widow. We don't know. Even the Rasha, he has something. So God says, but he's a bad guy. So God says, let me pay him in this world, cash him out. And then when he gets to the next world, he'll be doomed. So that's an approach. David Melech in a different chapter, says it explicitly. When he says, Ish ba'ar lo yeda, uksil lo yavin The fool doesn't understand. What doesn't he understand? When the wicked are flourishing like grass. And all the evildoers are blossoming. And they don't understand why. And David Amalek says, In order to destroy them in the future. That's, that's exactly what she is telling us over here. That it's a temporary pleasure. But that temporary benefit is going to come to an end. And they're going to be uh, ultimately, eternally, it's called Ade'ad. Ade'ad means forever. They're going to be destroyed. Whereas the tzaddik has a temporary hardship but in the long run, for eternity, it's going to have bliss and, and good. So David Melech right away confesses at the beginning of the chapter, Ach Tov Yisrael, which means we believe that God is Tov Yisrael, even though we don't see it, even though it's, uh, it's, it's mired in troubles and difficulties, but we know it's for their best. Elohim lebare levav. And those that are bare levav, their hearts are pure, they believe that um, that God is uh, that God is correct. There was a great rabbi in uh, Panama, Hakam Sion Levi Hakam Levi had a custom uh, that uh, whenever he would he would sit, he was old already, so everything was hard for him. So he would sit. He would say, Ah. Because you know he was hurting his back, and then he would say "Tovli Yisrael." He would quote this pasuk over here, and he would say that even the ach, even when Hashem gives a person ach, meaning pains and difficulties, the ach is "Tovli Yisrael." Ultimately, comes in the tovah. Even the ach that Hashem gives us is good, because Hashem knows that He's taking away from our punishment. Good memories of when the rabbi used to say that. Ach tov Yisrael. So now the pasuk says, "Va'ani kimat natayu raglai ke'ayin shupechu ashurai." Rashi. Rashi explains the chapter that David. I'm saying David. I mean the author is gradually going to come to the truth that everything is for the best but he discusses the thought process that he had until he came to that truth. 
And he writes that she, Va'ani, Beterem shumizot elibi. Before I pondered the reason why the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. Before I came to the truth, Kema'at natayu raglai. My legs almost buckled from this. Vishufichu ashuraim lintot mahare amakom. And I was about to turn away from God. And many people, I'm sorry to tell you, did turn away from God because of this question. They said, how could a good God make the Holocaust? How could a good God kill a million children? How could a good God make uh, uh, Shalom, uh, poor widows and Tumim and so on? And Almanot. So for this they say, it must be that there's no God. And therefore the, the world is just running the world is just running in randomness and it's just a roll of the dice and some people get good luck and some people get bad luck and they say because if there was a good God in the world everything would be justice and since we see no justice that means therefore there is a God but he retired he's in the heavens and he doesn't have too much interaction with what's going on on earth therefore it's a roll of the dice and some people they got lucky and some people they don't get lucky but it's all random God forbid but that's what the chapter is saying here initially I almost went off the derech Kimat almost natayu uh, raglai. Uh, uh, my legs turned. I mean, he turned away from from God. Why? Uh, he says He says I was jealous of the holelim. What's the holelim? The holelim are those that are making parties all day long. Holelut. They're making holelut. They're having parties. Shalom Rishaim Ere'eh. And I see that the Rishaim, they have Shalom. That everything is going good. They go from one party to another party. They enjoy themselves. They eat, they drink, they glutton, uh, involved in the uh, you know, pleasurable life. And then I see, Ki en hartsuvot lemotam ubari ulam. What does that mean? Hartsuvot literally means shackles. Meaning, even when they die, the Rishaim, they don't die in shackles, meaning they're not sick. They die an easy life, they live a long life, they die in their bed, they have an easy, easy departure as well. Ki en hatsubot limotam, even at the time of their death, en hatsubot. They're not uh, paralyzed, God forbid, or they're not confined to, uh, to, 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 to sickness. En hatsubot limotam, ubari ulam. Bari ulam means they're they're strong and they're healthy. As she says, "En yisurim lemitatam hametim bahem mehem metim beriim." They die healthy. Ki olam belo yisurim. And this is part of the question, obviously. This is part of the dilemma. And then you see the, the tzaddik. And tzaddik is a bar menan. He has all troubles. Ba'amal enosh enemo. They don't have to work. The rasha, amal enosh, amal is work. The amal, the work of enosh, of people that have to struggle, go to work every day, and uh, plow the fields, and do all sorts of exertions, and exhausting work. Enemo, they don't have it. Ve'im adam lo yinuga'u. And what happens to normal people, does not happen to them, they don't get niga'im. What is it, niga'im? Sickness. And because of this, what happens? Anaktemo is like a, is a anak. Anaka is, a, is like a, a necklace. 
And what does the Rasha wear around his neck? Gava, pride, haughtiness. Because they say, look at these religious people, I do nothing, I don't keep Shabbat, I don't keep Kashir. He's driving a nice car, he has a nice family, he wears nice clothes, he walks around like a big shot, and he comes along and says, you see, what is it all worth of me? He's doing everything and he's getting clobbered. I'm doing nothing and Baruch Hashem, have the life of Riley. So he says, He puts the Gava around his, around his neck. Because they don't get Yisurin, Gava reaches all the way up to the, the necks. And then what do they do? Ya'atov shit Hamas lamo. Hamas shosim osim otam shemegis ve'otef et shitotehem ve'ajbotehem ke'om bishomem asad. And therefore they take advantage of others and they're stealing these people that are sha'im and they rob and they become uh, uh, fat and they become, you know, uh, uh, large from all the abuse that they give other people. Bad guys. Yatsa mechelev enemo. Their face is so uh, um, uh, opulent from the food that they're eating, their eyes are bulging out, David Amelik says. Uh, a person who's, who's, who's skinny, his eyes are inside. But when the, the fat comes over the eyes over here, the eyes start to bulge out. The eyes are popping out from the... Averu maskiyot lebam. More... This is a beautiful line. Averu maskiyot lebam. Maskiot Nevav is their dreams. Everybody has imagination. They dream. Oh, if I only had this, if I only had that. One day maybe I'll get this. Maskiot Nevav is the dreams. So it says, what they end up getting surpasses their dreams. That's how successful they are. Averu Maskiot Nevav. Rashi. Yotir Yachelu More than their heart anticipates and desires. Ba'alahim ta'avatam. The ta'ava comes to them. They surpass it. They exceed what they were. They, they said, if I make a million dollars, they make 10 million. They didn't even ask for it. They're getting everything. Everything they touch turns to gold. You following what we're talking about over here? So now it says, more so, Yamiku v'idabiru bera'oshek. Yamiku, that she says, etre'ahem. Which means that they... Um, they rob the poor people, their friends that are poor, they take advantage of them. And they speak uh, to their friends about robbing other people. Not only that, they speak against God. Memarom is the heavens. And they speak in arrogance. And the she gives examples of these nishaim. Mimarom yidaberu kegon paro v'sad chali v'nebuchadnesar. Paro came along and said at one point when Moshe Rabbeinu said, "I'm an agent of God," and Paro says, "Mi Hashem?" Who's, who's, I never heard of him. The Gabbad. Paro was an asha, but look what he had. He was a king of a country. He was wealthy. He had power. He had influence. And what happens? He wore the Gaaba around his neck, and when. God's name is mentioned. He says, I never heard of him. He's not in my, uh, he's not in my Rolodex. Sanhariv, the same thing. Sanhariv, uh, one, one of the kings said, One of the kings said, I will 
rise and build a skyscraper higher than God's palace. The things that they said, that they thought they could even be higher than God. But what brought them to that? Their success made them drunk. They became uh, so blinded by their success that they thought they were infallible. They thought that they were even God themselves. Shatu b'shamayim pihem. They sent their mouths up to the shamayim towards God. Ushonam tihalach ba'aris. And their, and their mouth uh, also was sent on the ground. They talked about the tzaddikim. So they talked about God on heaven and the tzaddikim on earth. Lachen. Therefore, what does David Amelech say? Yashuv ammo halom. As a result, when the people see the Rishayim successful, time after time, what happens? It causes the people to want to turn away from God. That means that she says, The people start to to mistreat the Torah. The Mayim is the Torah. Because they say, what do we got to keep the Torah for? It's the same thing. Whether you keep the Torah, you don't keep the Torah. The guy doesn't do anything and he still has, uh, he still has uh, 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 success. Ve'amiru, echa yada el. Echa yada el. They come along and they say, ve'yesh da'at be'elyon. Does God know what's going on on earth? It's rhetorical. Echa yada el. Does God know anything? Ve'yesh da'at be'elyon. Is Hashem aware of what's going on on earth over here? Must be not. Because if he was aware of the Nisha'im, he would punish them. And the fact that he's not punishing them must be, although maybe God created the world, but he retired and he's not involved and engaged in Hashkaha Piratit. Look at he doesn't stop. These wicked people, Veshalve Olam. Shalve Olam means they have Shalva, they have tranquility and peace. Hisgu Hayil. Hisgu Hayil means they achieved higher wealth and success. And therefore, they say, we, we, we don't understand. Like it says in the Mishnah, Perkei Avot, En biyadenu lo mishalbat harsha'im ve'at lo miyisure hasadikim. We cannot understand the shalba, the tranquility of the resha'im and the yisurim, uh, the affliction of the sadikim. Achrik Zikiti Levabi. And he says, and I'm the religious guy. And you know what the religious guy says when he sees this? I wasted my time for being religious. Ach Rik. Rik means Hebel Varik. It was a waste of time for naught. Zikiti Levabi. Zikiti means I purified my heart for what? For nothing. My hands are clean. I never stole. My, uh, my life was all on honesty. But for what? You know what I got for it? I got nigaim from day to night. From one trouble to the next. Each day, he suffered different type of yisurim. Every morning, a new trouble. Every morning, a new headache. Every morning, a new... For Ahmad, I'm the good guy. Now he comes along and he says, if I'm going to come along and say, like everybody else says, now he's going to make a U-turn. He says, but I don't believe what I just said. He says, this is what the people are saying. It's not worth it to be religious. Uh, the, there's no justice. God left. That's, he's, I'm not saying it. This is what the people are saying. 
He says, Im amarti chemo, If I would speak kemo, meaning like those people, Hinedor banecha bagadti. He says, then uh, uh, I would be, um, I would be a rebel. I would be considered a rebel to speak like this. So what does he say instead? So I thought to myself to try to understand what is going on over here. What is the Midava Kadosh Baruch Hu? What is God doing over here? Why is he giving, uh, uh, why is he doing something that seems that there's no justice? And now he gives the answer. Pasuk Yudzayin is the answer. Ach avo el el avina laharitam. So he says, I'm going to have to wait. He said, I'm going to have to wait. Ad avo el el. Until I come to God's Mikdash, then avina I will understand laharitam. That God is doing this for their end. Laharitam. What is he saying? He says, I had to come to the Beit HaMikdash, either in Yerushalayim, or the Mikdash means the Beit HaMikdash, where we learn. And he said, I understood that, La Haritam, God is going to settle the score in the future. That the Rasha is not going to be benefiting forever. And the Tzaddik is not going to be suffering forever. Rashi, El Mikdash El, El Yashim Yerushalayim, Veraiti Masha'ira B'Sanchariv. I saw that all these Rasha'im, what, what happened to the end of Paro? He went down. What happened to the end of Sanhedrin? He went down. What happened to the end of Nebuchadnezzar? They went down. He says, we're only looking at the beginning of the story. You have to fast forward to the end. At the end, all these wise guys, they're gone. And look at the end of the tzaddikim. They're all high. So therefore, it's true in the beginning of the path, it looks like the tzaddik is losing and the rasha is winning. But it's not. He says, Avina la haritam. I saw where the end is, and at the end already, you see that justice is made. That the, the final stop for the Rishayim, it is destruction. All this that God gave them, until this point, I'm reading the next pasuk, He gave them halakot, halakot smooth. Boreolam makes a smooth path for the Rishayim. Why? In order to give them a chance to make uh, 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 no, so they won't make teshuvah. But the Olam gives them a good life, so they won't make teshuvah. Then Sadiq has a hard life, so therefore he's constantly saying, The Rasha, who has a good life, doesn't think to repent. In order, why? And then he brings them down, the Mashu'ot. Mashu'ot is like a Shoah. Shoah is a tragedy. He will bring them down to a tragedy. And then he says, what's going to happen? Shama means destruction. Kiraga, in one second. Safu, Tammu, they're going to be finished. They're going to be destroyed. Min Balahot, from the fear that the Malachamab is going to get them at the end of their lives. But by then, it's too late. And now he writes. This is a very, very big Musar. And then, if you want, I'll tell you a story. Kahalom mehakits. Those are the two words we came to discuss today. It took us time to get to Pasuk 20, but we got to it. Mazikahalom mehakits. Like a dream when you wake up. 
the Mepharshim explained it like this. If a person ever had a dream, let's say he's dreaming that he's eating in the dream. In the dream, he's enjoying himself, he's sitting, having a good time, he's partying, having fun. And then all of a sudden he wakes up. The second he wakes up, what does he realize? He's hungry, <laughs> he wasn't partying, he's still depressed. It was all, it was all a dream. The opposite is also true. If anybody ever had a nightmare, God forbid. In the dream, they're scared, they're screaming in their sleep, they think it's real. When they wake up, they look around, oh, it was only a dream. Says David Amelech that this world is a dream compared to Olam Abba. And therefore, the Rasha that's getting success in this world, but he doesn't realize it's a dream. There's going to come a time where they're going to wake him up. And you say, okay, now here, this is all I'm about, this is the reality. Then what was that? You were dreaming the whole time. And therefore, he's going to realize he wasted his whole life. And the tzaddik who suffered and said, okay, it was only a temporary nightmare. Now you're going to be up and you're going to go to Eden. But when a person lives like that, that life is like a dream. And at the moment that you're going to wake up, you're going to realize that everything was so false and temporary and not worth anything. And... Uh, to appreciate this Ka'alom Bahakits, it says, Adonai Ba'ir Salmam Tibzeh. That's the rest. Hashem, I'm explaining it the way the Malbim says. Ba'ir. Ba'ir doesn't mean city. Ba'ir means when he wakes them up. Hashem, Ba'ir. Ba'ir, when he wakes them up, Salmam Tibzeh. They're going to see that this whole world was just fake, like a Tselim. Tselim is like a doll. It's like a foolishness. It was, it was nothing. It was child stuff. It was child's play. Salman Tibzeh. They're going to see that the whole world is, uh, is, is, is fake. And many years ago, in the 1700s, in Poland, they used to have, uh, I guess we would call them today, when all the barons. You know, a baron. It's like a leader. He's a powerful governor. They didn't call them the barons, the baron, they called them graf. Graf, that was a Polish name for the, uh, for the moshel, for the ruler of the, of the town. And they owned land, and they owned, they would get taxes from the people. They were, they were strict rulers, and they were all over Poland. And there was, the most famous of all of them was the graf Potatsky. Potatsky was a very, very, very noble family in, in Poland. And uh, they had castles all over the place. Very, 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 very uh, influential throughout Paul. Goim, the Goim we're talking about. And the Potatsky had a son, and he sent him off to college. He's going to be the heir to the throne uh, of this father. And when he went to the college, they're also Orthodox uh, Christians. So he has to send him to religious school as well. And when he was in religious school, priest was explaining him the religion, whatever it is, and he didn't understand, didn't make sense to him. And he's asking him questions and questions and questions, and he doesn't get answers. He said, well, it doesn't make sense what you're saying. I said, well, you have to go to maybe a higher level. Anyway, somebody told him, this is nonsense what you're doing over here. The Jews have all the answers to these questions. You got to go to the Jews. Now, he's the son of Potatsky, which is the greatest uh, baron of the time. So, he tells his father when he comes back to Poland, I want to go take a trip around the world. Like the kids do today. They go to make, they go to make an avidah in every country. So now, so now, he thought that's what he wants to do also. He said, good luck. He gave him money to go. 
Meanwhile, what did he do? He went to the Hachamim, he found the yeshiva, and he went and he started to ask about Judaism, and he said, this is the emet, this is the emet. Now, he said, that's it. There's no choice, I have to convert. And could you imagine a scandal over here? This is the heir to the throne of the highest noble family of Poland, and now he's gonna uh, convert, something, something incredible. And he moved to uh, Lita. Lita is Lithuania. That's where the Gaon of Vilna was. And the Gaon of Vilna got him a rabbi to teach him Torah. And uh, now he started becoming very, very brilliant in Torah. He was a smart kid. And now he's dressed like a Jew. And his father's trying to find a way this kid disappeared. He was supposed to go around the world and back, but he never came back. And all of a sudden, one of the spies came and said, we saw your son, he's dressing like a Jew, he's in Lita. And it was against the law in those days to convert. Uh, if, you, if, if they would catch you to convert, they would kill you, and they would kill the rabbi that did the conversion. He actually went to Holland to do the conversion, because in Holland they were more tolerant. Uh, so he, he did it outside of the, of the country. But then he came to Lita. And now they caught him, and they said, listen, you're a Jewish guy, uh, renounce your Judaism and come back to Christianity. He said, I will not renounce nothing. And they started to torture him. I'm not going to go through all the things they did to this guy in order to, to break him to come back. First, they offered him all the wealth. He said, I'm not interested in the wealth. And they told him, uh, we're gonna, and they, they, they cut his hands, they cut his body, and they beat him. And they, who knows what they did to him? And he said, I'm not interested. I saw the Ahmed, you could kill me. I'm not doing anything. Finally, they decided that they're going to kill him. Death by fire. And they set the date to kill uh, the Sadiq over here on uh, Shavuot, Shavuot day. And in that town, the rabbis announced nobody leave the, the, the room, nobody leave the, the house that day, because this could be a pogrom, because they were gonna kill this uh, man over here. And uh, they made a big fire in the city, and uh, everybody was scared. They stayed in their house, Shavuot day, and they closed the blinds. They didn't want the green to, to see them. And they took this uh, tzaddik, he was a convert. They took him and they gave him one last chance. Renounce your Judaism and will save you. I don't renounce anything. So they said to him, there was one rabbi that claims he was there. There was a rabbi called Yesod Mishodesh Avodah, Rabbi Alexander Ziskin. He says he was behind the bushes. He says he saw when they killed this man and he said Shema Yisrael with him. And uh, the Gaon of Vilna says on the way that they were bringing him to the fire, they say that the Gaon of Vilna opened his window and told them, Run, run, meaning run, run to your death, run to your death. And I heard an explanation because he was a Tamir Hakam, this guy. And he had a question, is, should I run because I'm going to do a mitzvah? Or is this not a mitzvah that I should run to? Because every second more I'm living is a mitzvah. So he had a question, should, run, you're doing a mitzvah. It's like running to shul, he told him. Just like you have to run to shul, this is a mitzvah, what you're doing? And uh, so he went. Right before he died, they came along and they told him, uh, or he said to the people that were around him, he said, I don't forgive you for what you're doing to me here today, but it doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter anyway. When they went to the Gaon of Vilna to ask him, what did he mean? And then they threw him into the fire and he died al Kiddush Hashem and it was a, a ter- terrible thing. He was all ashes, except they found one finger and they said, it's a zechut, that they can fulfill at least the mitzvah of burial. 
after Shavuot they went and the Gaon Vilna buried the uh, the piece in the in Lita. And when he got to the Gaon Vilna to the cemetery, he said um, he said a pasuk. He said zot menuchati ad he says, Zot Minuchati, this is my resting place. This is where I want to be. And they understood that they go and wanted to be buried next to him. So when the Gaon died, they buried him next to this, uh, this Ger Tzedek. They called him Avraham ben Avraham. Because when a Ger, when a convert, when a convert, when someone converts to Judaism, he doesn't have a name. So they give him Avraham. And he doesn't have a father. So they call him Avraham ben Avraham Hager. Avraham, the son of Avraham. And the Gaon of Vilna is buried in Lita, next to the... He said, this is a very holy place. I want to be buried there. Many years, I think after World War I, the, uh, Russia invaded Lithuania, and uh, they wanted to knock the Jewish cemetery down. And they wanted to take the cemetery and make it a sports complex or something like that. And they had to beseech the authorities to move the, the graves. It says when they had to move the graves of the Gomer Vilna, his, his skeleton was perfect in intact. Not his body, but the skeleton was perfect. It was, nothing fell apart. And he still had hair on the place where he puts it the Tefilin Rosh. This was hundreds of years later. And they took the ashes of Avraham Agir as well, and they moved it. Anyway, it says those that, they had to move it. But those that moved it, all died within the year. Even though they were doing a mitzvah, but it seems that, I don't know what it seems, but that's what happened. I don't know what it seems exactly, but that's what happened. And they say that so many tragedies happened in that sports complex. When Yaume Vilna and Avraham again were makpid for many years, there was a lot of tragedies in that. It was a very unlucky spot for what they built over there. Anyway, uh, the Yaume Vilna would, would, would have said had said at the time when Avraham Hagir gave his neshama up on that day of Shavuot, he brought so much Kiddushah into the world that he got rid of the Tumah Metilat Yadayim. He said, the Gomer Villain's opinion was that although we say in the morning you shouldn't touch your eyes before you are, he said that Tumah is not in the world anymore. The, the Kiddushah that came into the world as a result of that, he said the Tumah left. Tumah Yadayim. It's not the Halakha, but that's what he said. Anyway, they went to the Gaon and said, what did he mean when he said, I don't forgive them, but they don't have to worry about it anyway. It doesn't matter anyway. So he said, following Mashal, he said, I mean, this is the way I heard it from, from my rabbis, but I'll say it in order to understand the Pasuk, because I'm telling you the story because we want to say it, the Rasha, the Pasuk. There was a, a, a young prince and he was young and he was making, he was playing with his toys. So he made, he took clay and he made from the clay like soldiers. And he made like an army of soldiers out of clay. And uh, he made like a fortress and he makes like an imaginary war. He's playing war, like the kids would play with toys. And there was a kid in the town, a commoner, and he saw the soldiers and he went and he, he knocked them all down. And the prince who was a little boy, he got all upset, he's crying. He knocked all my soldiers down. He knocked all these, uh, my army, he killed my army. So the prince told the boy, he says, now I'm a little boy, I don't have power, but one day I'm gonna become 
the prince, and the first thing I'm doing, I'm going to kill you for what you did over here today. Sure enough, many years later, when he became the prince, so they make a big coronation ceremony. So this boy, who also became old, was scared. So on the coronation ceremony, he sees the, his friend from when he was a child, he says, please forgive me, don't kill me, don't kill me for what? You said you're going to kill me. What, for, for killing those clay, uh, clay dolls? I was a kid, I thought, I thought clay dolls were real, what do I know, now I'm an adult. Go away, I'm not going to kill you for that. It's all nonsense, it's all, it's all, it's all uh, it was a doll, it was not, nothing real. When he was young, he thought it was real. When he got old, he said, you think I care about it? So he says, that's what the, 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 the Avraham Menagir was saying. He said, I don't forgive you, but it doesn't matter anyway, because when I get upstairs, I'm going to look from upstairs what's going on in this world, and it's going to be like child's play. Anything you did to me, what did you do? You hit my body, it's nothing, it's all, it's a dream, it's nothing. It's going to be so insignificant, this world, and anything that happens in this world, corresponding to what's going on in the next world, it's not going to even register. And that's the way they explain this pasuk. The pasuk that we just read is to be read like this. That this world is like a dream. That you're going to be woken up from a dream. Adonai ba'ir. God is going to arouse us from the, from the sleep. Salman tibzeh. And you're going to realize that everything was a tzelin. Everything was a doll. Which means it was a, it was a clay doll. It was, made out of, it was made out of nothing. And therefore, that's what he was saying to, 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 uh, to the people. He was saying, you think it's going to bother me over here? Now in this world, it looks like you're doing something significant to me. But it's the physical body. The physical body is nothing. And therefore, even if I don't forgive you, it's not going to matter anyway. Because by the time I get there... It's not gonna. It's not gonna bother me. And that's the way they explain the uh, the pasuk. That will look significant in this world. By the time we get to the next world, it's not so. Uh, it's not so important. The tzelem, the, the, the clay doll in the dream looked very significant. When they wake up from the dream, they say, what is this? It's nothing. So he says, in dreamland, I have claims against you. But when I wake up in Olam Abba, I'm going to realize that all this is invaluable or not significant in order to take a, uh, take a revenge. Now, it should be pointed out that David HaMelech concludes the chapter and he says... In Chav I'll always be with you, God. You held me by my right hand. You always advised me the right way. Who do I have else in the Shemaim besides you? I, I, I desire nobody else. The Goyim, they believe in heaven and God, but they have a desire for somebody else because they believe in the son and the mother. The, the different, uh, they believe in the whole uh, so David Amelech says I don't want anybody else now in this in this over here there's a few beautiful short in the Gemara that's worth our attention that's a simple interpretation of the Mishnah I once saw 
a deras from Rabbi Mordechai Gifta Shalom. Mordechai Gifta once said, uh, well, l- l- let me explain it first on the Pasuk. If you look in the Pasukim over here, Pasuk, Pasuk is going to be Yud Zayin, Pasuk 17. Listen to this Pasuk. Ad avo el mikdeshe el. Listen to these words here. Mikdeshe el. Until I come to the mikdash. This was what David was saying. I don't understand. But when, when did I understand it? When I got to the mikdash, when I got to Jerusalem. And then I understood avina laharitam. I understood that something's going to happen to these people at the end. Avina laharitam. But the Gemara learns this in Baba Metziah the following. We know that there were different periods of time where Torah was being promoted. There was the time of the Mishnah. The Mishnah was written by a great rabbi called Rabbi Yudah Nasi or Rabbi Nuh Him and Rabbi Natan. Those were two great rabbis and they wrote the Mishnah. What was the Mishnah? The Mishnah was basically paragraphs of halakha, written very terse, very shorthand, and that was it. You just had Mishnah. There was no such thing as Gemara. And how would they learn? They would go to the yeshiva, they had the Mishnayot, and then everything else was just one rabbi saying something, another rabbi saying something, and all bunch of statements of rabbis, and you had to know everything by heart, what he said, what he said, what he said, and you had to try to reconcile all the statements. It was, it was complicated learning, because you only had the paragraph in front of you. From the paragraph, you had to extrapolate. So all the rabbis would get together and say, I heard this from that rabbi, and I heard this, and I heard that, and they had to, oh, how can he say that? Did he say something else? And they were reconciling all the statements, but all this was done by heart. Until two great rabbis came, Ravina, listen, Ravina and Rav Asher. Ravina and Rav Asher decided to do something monumental, and they took all these statements that were being said in the Beit Midrash, and they codified it into a book. So he said, this rabbi said this, oh, there's a contradiction on his words, so the answer is this. They, they documented all these conversations that took place in the Beit Midrash, so now we would have it, for uh, uh, posterity, we have it forever. And they named the book Gemara. That is Gemara. There was a, a long time in history we did not have Gemara. What would you do? You'd walk into the yeshiva, all the curriculum they gave you is a paragraph for Mishnah. And now from this Mishnah you had to figure it out from all the collective statements from me, it was so difficult. But they said, if we're not gonna write all these things down, the Torah's gonna be forgotten. So therefore they wrote and they sealed the Talmud. And after Rabbi Nadab Asher, the Talmud is sealed. Nobody can come along and now start adding halakot or saying new things. They took everything that was before them and did the final say. Rabbi Nadab Asher. I'm going to read you the Gemara. It's in Baba Metziah, page 86. And I'm quoting. Amar le Shemuel yalhina'al rabbi lididi hazili sifra da'adam arishon. There was one rabbi, he saw the diary of Adam Rishon. You believe it? Adam Rishon. Where did he find his diary? In the Smithsonian Museum, maybe. I don't know where he found it. But he found it. He found the diary of Adam Rishon and he saw the following written in the diary. Rabbi Nasi and Rabbi Natan, Tanaim. They are going to be the last of the Tanaim rabbis and they're going to seal the Mishnah. It seems Adam Rishon saw the future. And he knew what's going to happen. So he wrote. 
this is going to happen in this generation, and it's going to happen in the other one. And then he said, Rab Asheb Rabina Sophora'ah. Rabina Asheb, those two rabbis, they are the end of the Talmud. That's called Amuraim. And then it says, he wrote in his book, and how do we know this? Because the Pasuk says, Ad Avo El Mikdeshe El. Mikdeshe has the Lashon She. Sounds like Rav Asher. Avina, Avina sounds like Ravina. La Haritam, La Haritam means the end. That means Ravina and Rav Asher, these two rabbis are going to be the end of the sealing of the Talmud. That means nobody can come after them and argue on them. Because they are a group of rabbis called Amoraim, and Amoraim have a certain status. Amora cannot argue on the rabbi that's before him. That's a Tanah of the Mishnah. Their job is to explain the Mishnah, but they cannot argue on the Mishnah. Once the Tanaim wrote the Mishnah, the Amoraim's job is to explain it. It was not written till Rabbi Nanavashi came and codified it. That's called the Talmud, and they, what a job they did. What a job they did. I'm not saying that they were like the art scroll of their time, but that, that's what it was. When they came out with this Talmud, it was such a, 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 an aid, an assistance for those that wanted to learn, everything now was in front of them. But nobody could come along and say, yes, I know Rabbi, Rabbi Nas says this, but I argue. What do you mean you argue? I'm also a rabbi. What kind of rabbi are you? This is a rabbi with that 2,000 years ago. You cannot argue on them. It's the end of, and all of Jewish law comes somewhere from the Mishnah with the interpretations of the Talmud, the way Rabbi Nas of Asher codified so they're very significant rabbis. I don't know if you ever heard of them before, but these are the most important rabbis of the Talmud. Ravina and Ravasheh. Ad Avu El Mikdesheh. Mikdesheh is Ravasheh. Avina, Ravina. Laharitam. So I'll explain to you now what I was going to tell you. Why in the middle of this chapter that's talking about the wicked prospering, do we mention over here the... Uh, construction of the Talmud. It doesn't fit in this chapter. This is not a chapter that's talking about Torah. This is a chapter that's talking about the justice of God that seems perverted. And in the middle they come along and say, Yeah, Ravina, Ravasheh, the Talmud. From where, did, where did this come from? You know, I, 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 you want to hear a story? I'll tell you a story. But then I'll go back to this. I just remembered it now. It happened to me. That's how I know it. About 14 years ago, we finished the, the Shas. The 2,800 pages of the Talmud. It was a big accomplishment. We recorded it. We put it online. Many people listened to it, these recordings, because they were done properly. Every daf we did very slowly and very clearly in English. And... A lot of times the young guys, the boys in the community come to Rabbi, we listen to the, the people from that recording that we made, 2,800 20, recordings, it's a lot of recordings. 2,800 jelly beans is a lot of jelly beans. Imagine 2,800 pages of shas, it's a lot. So we said we have to do something special when we want to make a siyum. So where are we going to make siyum? We said we're going to make the siyum at the graves of Rabinan Nab The authors of the Talmud, the authors of the, imagine, but we don't know where they're buried, that's the problem. So we did some scouting reports, where they're buried. 
He says, oh, Rabbi, you'll never get there. They're buried in Lebanon. Which means, when you go all the way to the north of Israel, to Matula, or to, far to the border, then they have a gate. The good fence, or the, whatever they call the fence over there. I don't know what's so good about it, but there's a fence over there. And beyond the fence, it's Lebanon. And right beyond the fence, there's two graves of Sadiqim. You see, Rabinah, Rabashir. Now, this is a dangerous place to go. So we called up the Israeli uh, defenses, and we said, we want to bring a group of 50 boys to the border of Lebanon and get to the gate. And we want to make a siyum of the shas at the gate of everybody, Rabbi Nahum Rabashir's graves. This has never been done. Bezori can bring two people, bring 50 people to this place. So after connections and making a lot of you know, influence and stuff like that, the government said, okay, you can come on this day, at this time, and we took a bus, and we're driving up to the north, and you're driving, you see 10 kilometers to Beirut, 10 kilometers to, like, you see signs already, we're, in, uh, we're deep into the country. Now, we're almost there, so the tour guide, or whatever the guy was, the soldier gets a call from the army base. That's over there. And he says to us, they said it's canceled. They can't come, they changed their mind. What do you mean we changed? We came all the way from America, we changed it, we changed it. It's not a, it's like you canceled the pizza on us. This is over here, we're going to, this is a young convenient, we're waiting for this day for how many years? They canceled us last minute, we're there, we can see the, it, no, they decided uh, it's too complicated, and uh, that's it, you have to make a U-turn, Shalom Aleichem. So he said, no, no, it can't be. Hashem's going to do this to us. We, we came so far, the last minute, this is yesterday not trying to zap us uh, to see if we're serious. So we called the guy back. Said, what do you mean you can't see? You can't get it. We're calling our connections. So they got the head guy on the phone from the base. The guy says, well, what is this anyway? Nobody told what is what are you doing? They didn't know the details. He said, no, we have a bunch of guys. We want to make a siyum. We're from America. We want to make a siyum by Rabina and uh, Rabashir. And the guy's talking English. The guy said, where, where, where are you from? He said, we have a rabbi, you don't know me, he's from America, Rabbi Mansour. He says, what Rabbi Mansour? The Daffy or me from the tapes, from the, from the thing? He said, I listen to the rabbi in the, in, on the computer. He said, you bring, if you could bring him here, you could come. What are the odds? The guy was one of the listeners of the Daffy or me. So we got there, he brings me to his office, and he shows me on the screen. He said, this I listen to you all day long on the Daffy or me. I said, I can't believe they brought you to me. He says, I, I also, he came with us and made the siyum. He came with us, I made this siyum. We went to the fence, and you see Hezbollah over there, and you see Vietnam over there, it's all... You see the Lebanese soldiers and Hezbollah right there. Why'd they bury them? Why'd they bury them? They're, probably that was Israel at the time, but then they moved the fence, and they put them on the other side. But the point is, we were there. We have pictures of it, so stunning. I, it's probably the first time in history, 50 people went to that location, and they made siyum. It was Hakarat HaTob, as if to say. We went to Rabbi Nabi, those are the ones that sealed the Talmud, Good, that's, that's my own story. But now the question is, now the question is, why is it mentioned in this, in this chapter? Very nice, Rabbi Nara, Bashir, Talmud, this is talking about Sadiq Vira'lo, Rajabitovlo. So I'll answer it based on what I heard from Rabbi Gifta. Rabbi Gifta, Allah Bashar, Zosh Shivav tells Yeshiva. Tells Yeshiva in uh, Chicago. So, not Chicago, in, the, in the Cleveland. So he said the following. He said, there's a Gemara that writes, 
that somebody that comes to this world, no, it said the following. The story is like this. Rabbi Akiva was a great rabbi. And Rabbi Akiva lived in the times of the Romans. And they told Rabbi Akiva, there's a decree that you cannot teach Torah in public. And that's what he did. He was a teacher. He taught Torah his whole life. Now they tell him, if you teach Torah, death penalty. So Rabbi Akiva didn't listen. Anyone is teaching Torah. So somebody came to him and said, Rabbi, don't you hear the, the decree of the Romans and you're putting yourself in danger? So he said, I'll give you a parable. He said, one time, uh, the fox went to the banks of the river and the fox sees the, uh, the fishermen throwing their nets, trying to catch the fish. So the fox tells the fish, fish, why don't you come on land? Why don't you come on land and live with me? Because where you are, it's very dangerous over here. But if you come on land with me, you'll be safe from the, from the traps. So the fish came along and he said, silly fox, you fool. He says, we cannot, we are dangerous in our own habitat. Could you imagine if we leave our habitat, how dangerous it will be? If in where we thrive, we have danger. To leave our habitat to go on dry land, you think we're going to be safer? Biakiva was saying, to leave our habitat of Torah, how can we leave our habitat? In our habitat, it's dangerous. To leave the habitat of Torah. And therefore he said, to leave Torah is like a fish out of water. That was the mashah. It's like a fish out of water. So Rabbi Gifta said, very nice. But why the mashah a fish out of water? Why didn't he say, an elephant without oxygen? I mean, any animal that loses its life source will die. He gave the example of a fish and, and, what, and, and, and a cat without air. Also can't live. No, Torah is like a fish out of water. So he said something so, so unbelievable, beautiful, what he said. He said, I'll tell you why. If a person ever went fishing before, I don't know, you ladies don't look like fishermen, but if you ever went fishing before. So you see, when the fisherman catches the fish, so you pull it out of the water, the moment you pull it out of the water, the fish starts thrashing back and forth, it's going up and down. Now somebody that doesn't know anything about fishing would say that <laughs> doesn't look like he caught the fish, he's still alive. As a matter of fact, he even looks more alive than he was when he was under the water. Under the water, you didn't even hear him. He looks very, uh, very vibrant. Now, what would you answer? <laughs> it's temporary. <laughs> very soon, you're going to see, he's going to run out of steam, this fish. And after jumping up and down, back and forth, after a second, you see, he dies. So the Rav said, he says, those that don't have a Torah life, if you look at them in this world, they're like a fish out of water. They look very alive. They look very alive. They're dancing and they're partying and they're jumping and they're going. And somebody that wouldn't know much would say, wow, you don't need to have Torah to live. These people have no Torah. And but he says they're living like a fish out of water, which means all this is only bringing it closer to the ultimate demise, to the ultimate, to the ultimate fall. And therefore it's a, it's a, um, it's a ruse. It's, it, it, it's a trick. It does, it, 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 it's, a, it's a mirage. It's not, it's, not what, it's, not, it's not what it really is. And therefore in this chapter, the Pasuk is coming to say, don't get fooled. Don't get fooled by the Rishayim. The Rishayim look like they're living it up. 
they're going and they're traveling, they're going from place to place, and they have houses all over the world, they have money everywhere, and they're doing everything. So it looks like they have all, and they don't have Torah. So that comes, comes the, the, the Pasuk in Tehilim, in chapter uh, 73, in Pasuk uh, 17. Ad avo el Don't forget, without Ravina and without Rav Asher, you're a fish out of water. Without the Talmud, all this is nonsense. Although it might look like temporarily that they were doing so the Torah wants, the chapter in there wants to tell us that those that immerse themselves in Torah and they study Torah, although they might not look like they're enjoying like everybody else, but ultimately, ultimately they're going to have uh, uh, the life in the future. Doesn't mean they're going to have a life in this world. But those that are closing the Talmud and they choose other lifestyles outside of the Talmud, outside of the teachings of Ravidan of Asher. Oh, those are the Sha'im. They chose to leave the water of the Talmud. Now, although it might look like they're having a, a, a party, but it's only temporarily. Only those that are immersed in Yamat Talmud, in the, the fish underwater, you don't hear any noise from them. They're quiet, they don't let them make any, 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 any noise, any, 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 any action. That's, that's the Musa. So Adrabah, because this is the chapter that's telling us about the Rishaim. The rabbi wanted to remind us, don't forget that a Jew is bound by the Yamat Talmud. And the Yamat Talmud, the waters of the Talmud, which we swim in all day long. But those that leave it, those are the Rishaim. And don't get fooled from what you see. When somebody leaves the Yamat Talmud, you might think he made a right decision. You might think that by leaving the Yamat Talmud, it brought him to prosperity. But it didn't. The longer they're out of the water, they're only bringing themselves closer to their own demise and own death. Therefore, this chapter over here is very, very significant. And I will point out that this Pasuk is actually Pasuk 17, which is Pasuk Tov. Pasuk Tov, which is, the, this chapter is the Pasuk of Ach Tov Yisrael. Ach Tov Yisrael. What's good for Yisrael? David was hinting in the beginning of the chapter. Ach Tov. You know what's, you know what's good? 17. Look at chapter, look at Pasuk 17. And when you look at Pasuk 17, he says, what's good is the Talmud. If you immerse yourself in the study of Ravinan of Asher, ultimately it'll be good. Tov is Ba'ulam Azeh, and obviously, in the long run, when the Rasha runs out of steam, the Tzaddik keeps on going. Okay, let's stop over here.